Welcome to Primarily 2020, the podcast all about the politics, policies, and personalities of the 2020 Democratic primary. I'm your host, Karen Robinson. So I'm here with a friend of the pod and frequent Primarily 2020 guest, Emma Burnell. Hello, Emma. Hello, Karen. So Emma and I have just been through the wars because we have sat and watched the full two hours of the first night of the Democratic debate. We were going to watch both of them back to back, but oh my goodness, Ah! that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So we're just going to do two episodes. So we're going to do one today and another, and we're going to cover the second night tomorrow. So this episode is focused on the first of the two nights. And for our first party trick, (laughs) Emma and I are going to see if we can recall, without prompting, who were the people on the stage. So there were 10 people on stage. Should we go one, 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 one? Yeah, we'll take turns. Okay. You start. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. One. Uh, Bernie Sanders. Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Better Will Rock. Marianne Williamson. Um, John Delaney. Tim Ryan. Um... John Hickenlooper. Oh, the Minnesota guy. No, I don't mean Minnesota. Oh, Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar and... Minnesota woman. <laughs> yeah, not guy. And the Montana guy. The Minnesota, Minnesota non-guy. Oh, and the Montana guy was Steve Bullock. Yes. We did it. Amazing. <laughs> not despite the fact that for large parts of the debate, I forgot that several of those people existed. Which I'm okay with, actually. Yeah, I think you know, by the end of next week, the rest of us will be there. <laughs> I mean, I am actually looking forward to the next round of debates in which some of these people will not be on the stage, which is not necessarily an insult to these people, but like, just that's just, enough. We just want to see the people who are actually likely to become the president. Yeah, we have some serious conversations we need to have. Um, so just ahead of this debate, before I watched it, I knew that because of how the draw had broken out, it was very much expected to be kind of because it was Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are the two top polling candidates in this debate. So I went into it thinking this is going to be really interesting to see whether they pivot against each other, whether they play into each other. Um, How did it come across for you? Uh, I think they were backing each other up for the most part. This was very much a kind of centrist versus leftist debate. It was team debate. progressive, wasn't yeah. it? Um, and I think they both kind of understood that at this juncture, they're not competing with each other so much as they are getting their supporters riled up against team no change. <laughs> um, which is kind of primarily represented here by John Delaney. Yeah. Um, and so I think that the, the argument on stage was team big idea versus team pragmatic. Yeah. Um, if you want to try and kind of give them both the labels they'd prefer, I suppose. Um, well, and it's interesting because if you, if you believe the polling, um, in terms of where each of them are pulling their supporters from, so the second choice of Elizabeth Warren supporters is Kamala Harris, mm. and the second choice of Bernie Sanders supporters is Joe Biden, and vice versa. So Joe Biden supporters are also yeah. looking to Sanders, and Kamala Harris supporters are looking to Warren, which suggests to me that as much as it may seem like they're competing for the same voters, they're not. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I was actually kind of annoyed about the setup of this debate, because I really want to see so we haven't yet seen elizabeth warren on stage with um either joe biden or kamala harris Mm. and that is the dynamic i was really interested in seeing and i guess we're gonna have to wait until the next debate debate to see it yeah absolutely and i you know hopefully the next debate will just be the people who are in with a chance so that we can then um 
see them actually have a battle of ideas that doesn't involve people who aren't really in the race just having a trying to have a moment yeah I think there was a lot of trying to have a moment but a lot of failing to have a moment well I think that's the thing I mean the people who are on that stage who are polling low below one percent in that one percent territory they will not be in the next debate unless they can get up to two percent which doesn't sound like that big a deal but actually it's doubling your support which is not easy to do in a crowded field um so I think they're all perfectly aware that if they don't have a big moment they're out Um, and ironically, like the person who was the most also ran kind of least necessary person on the stage, John Delaney is the one who got the most opportunities because of how the moderators had framed it to, to be the voice of, um, centrism. I think partly because Biden was not there. Yeah. I mean, he was kind of making the, I mean, I think you and I turned to each other several times and said, why is he a Democrat? <laughs> and so did Marianne Williamson. Yeah, so. yeah no, I was like, because oh, I'd been saying that. And then Marianne Williamson turned and said, oh, my God, I've turned into Marianne Williamson. <laughs> this is not what I expected of today. To be fair, you are in most other regards rather unlike Marianne Williamson, but it turns out you have that in common. So there you go. Do with that what you will. I think my hair's quite like hers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, girlfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> uh, her voice is weird. You're you not about, <laughs> what is with her speaking voice? I do not understand it. I was about to say something very stereotypical about California there, but maybe, um, well, I, I guess it's all legal now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, or at least decriminalized, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Is it that? I mean, I watched a lot of Cheech and Chung movies growing up, so that that, that drawl for me just says one thing, but yeah, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I am so culturally alienated from California. So I apologize to all of my many California listeners. I will I will try and be more respectful of your culture. In so I've had wonderful, wonderful trips to California. And my best friend lived was born there and lived over there for eight years as a grown up. Yeah. So I used to go and visit Marin County, which is the most California bit of California you can possibly imagine. So I'm very, very fond of it. I just couldn't live there. (laughs) Yeah. But actually, I mean, coming back to the rest of the debate, um, that's one thing that is striking for this particular debate because you saw a really interesting geographical spread. Mm. Um, Obviously, Mary Williams, we talked about is California. The debate was happening in Detroit. So you saw Mm. a lot of references to Michigan, American auto workers, manufacturers, General Motors, et cetera. Um, Steve Bullock was there from Montana, Amy Klobuchar from um, from Minnesota, Beto O'Rourke was making a pitch for Texas. He had a bit uh, too explicitly, I felt. Yeah, he, uh, like he did on the nose directly say at yeah. some point. He's like, Texas has thirty eight electoral votes, and I can win them. I yeah, like, can you really? Well, yeah, you, you didn't last time, dude. <laughs> I mean, good luck, dude. But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, Texas, the permanently disappointing state. <laughs> Not permanently. It's just always in just, the future. Yeah. <laughs> The future, the future, non-disappointing. Someday state. it will not disappoint us. Surely, it's yeah. It's like that piece of string you trail along in front of a cat, <laughs> and then, yeah, we, the Democratic Party, all that kitten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can tell it's Friday. <laughs> it's Friday. I know we have. I swear we have had not had any gin. No, just strawberries, which are just, almost as good. Just strawberries. <laughs> Not fermented. Um, so, okay. So that's kind of the setup of the debate. Um, so first impressions as a general rule, who came out stronger than you expected? Who disappointed? Uh, I thought Pete Buttigieg did really, really well. Um, better than last time, I thought. I mean, I think he did well last time. But I think he did really well this time. Um, and I think as a result of that and the fact that they were stood next to each other, he diminished Beto O'Rourke. I think... Pete Buttigieg is the worst thing that's happened to Beto O'Rourke in terms of his 
because they're quite similar profile. Um, but people are just better at it. You know, when you think about what you liked about Better World Rock during the 2018 um, elections, when we all got behind him, we're all really excited about him. We all thought he might win Texas. It was this combination of political savvy and empathy. And, you know, that speech that he made about kneeling Mm -hmm. um, rightly won him huge accolades. Um, But when you have him up against Pete Buttigieg, who has the same qualities, he just doesn't seem to be able to bring his A-game anymore. Well, I'm I'm actually, I agree with that, but I'm actually going to take it a little further and, and slightly challenge it because I think... I think he's going one level better than Beto O'Rourke has done in that my problem with Beto O'Rourke, even in his Texas Senate campaign was like, I said, I like everything he's doing, but I don't feel like he has one singular core narrative. That's the story of his election. Um, Whereas I feel like, Pete Buttigieg, and he really brought it home tonight. Mm. I thought he did a really good job. Pete Buttigieg's basic story amounts to the, something like the following, um, you know, that the, the structure of American politics is broken and that until we fix the structural problems that are holding us back from ab- actually being able to make substantive change, like, you know, tactical things like the Electoral College, the way that, you know, politics is, is the corruption has been allowed through. Until we fix those things, um, we will never be able to sustainably solve the problems. And he talks a lot about, you know, you can fix it for the next election, but what about the next four elections, the next five mm-hmm. elections? Somebody has to start solving these problems so that the next generation will do it. And that's where he starts to bring in the fact that he's a younger candidate. He is able to talk about generational change because he is looking forward to when he will be himself the age of some of the other candidates it's on stage which is a little cutting but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean even I, I was at one point it's like, and then I'll be 40 I'm like fuck you yeah <laughs> I, I think I did give him the middle finger at that point even though I love I love Pete yeah. but uh, <laughs> 240 I'm 46 44 40 yeah. you know so mid 40s people here yeah, are like yeah know. but um get but off I, my lawn <laughs> but I was really struck by the fact that I I felt like very few candidates have a core narrative mm-hmm. In this race, yeah. I think Elizabeth Warren has yeah. one. I think Bernie Sanders yeah. has one. Um, I think Kamala Harris is missing one. Um, Joe Biden's, I'm not sure I'm convinced by well, it. He's kind of co-opted Obama's. Yeah, which he's isn't the kind same of, thing. well, he's kind of like, let's carry on. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. What, let's just go back to 2016 and start yes, over. Yes, we still can. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think the, almost because there's been a real shortage of that kind of narrative building, I think it came through stronger for Buttigieg. So I agree. I, I He was the person who stood out the most yeah. for me in this debate. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would agree. I thought um, Warren didn't have as strong a debate as she had last time. Um, partly, I think, the format worked there well for her, that she was constantly interrupted, constantly unable to finish a point. Um, and it just kind of just and and again I think that's because there were just too many people on stage you couldn't have a proper debate and she's kind of a you know championship debate didn't you go to college on a debating scholarship did she I I think I read that somewhere but I may be wrong but anyway what she what she can do is debate but not in a kind of you know short sharp she's not a soundbite person really um and there was very little you could do on that stage other than a few soundbites yeah so she had her moments um but it wasn't as dominating as she was in the first debates. Yeah. I thought she came through pretty well, um, but I don't think she did as good a job as I've seen her do in other outings of building her narrative yeah. and basically making everything connect back yeah. to... I have a plan her, for that. <laughs> yeah, I have a plan for that. And also the basic idea that like, which it, she did say and it did come through, but I think 
she's done a better job in previous times of saying like my basic my basic argument is that American capitalism is broken and we need to fix it and get it back on track. Um, everything that we're doing connects to that. Yeah. Um, but but I think she was sharp today. She yeah. had some sharp moments. Um, any other disappointments for you? I mean, a lot of the people on stage. I mean, no, 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 people. Yeah, I wasn't disappointed by Tim Ryan. I wasn't disappointed by um, John Delaney. I just didn't care. Um, I thought Steve Bullock was a perfectly reasonable person mm-hmm. that, again, I don't really care about because. <laughs> yeah. In a week's time, who is he going to, what's he going to mean to me? <laughs> I quite, I quite, in some ways, I quite enjoyed Steve Bullock. I kind of watched him going, I don't think I want to vote for this person for president, but I can, I, I, I would enjoy seeing him in a future Democratic cabinet, for example. Yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. I, I, I He'd feel make like, a great Secretary of the Interior. Totally, you know, or, you know, some, yeah, something like that. I think he could do a really good job. So I, I thought he was very credible. He did himself no harm tonight. And he is the one person, I think I'm right in saying, who was not in the previous round of debates. Because he entered the race too late to yeah, qualify. Yeah. Um, he was just edged out slightly because I think one of his polls was disqualified by the – one of the polls where he was polling over 1% was disqualified because it was an internet poll or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, something pedantic, some stupid argument. But okay. anyway, so this was his first chance to make his mark. And I thought with, by I that think he did all he right, did pretty well. Um, but I, he didn't have the moment yeah. that you need at this point. Did anyone have a really standout moment for you? Not a good one. Um, no, it didn't feel like a night of a moment, really. I mean, it was just Tim Ryan trying, just bringing too many Republican talking points and everyone else kind of got snap backing and saying, you know, don't do that, dude. I did feel like when Elizabeth Warren had her big, um, she had a big line pushing back on John Delaney where she said something like, I don't understand why anyone yes. goes to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to say what we can't do and shouldn't fight for. Yeah. yeah. And the whole that, that, was was like, the, that was the line of the night. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And it did sum up, it was, it was a line of the night in terms of a well-prepared and a well-delivered mm. line, but it also did sum up a lot of what the conversation was like. So yes. it actually was pithy as a summary. And it was really um, the best line of attack slash defense for that progressive caucus and that it came from her rather than from Bernie, I thought yeah. was, was again, good for her yeah. and probably bad for Bernie. So I, we have to talk about Bernie a little bit because um, I still struggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. This is my, my shallow point, which I said to Emma while we were watching it. And I apologize to all my Bernie fans in, in, in my audience, but if you could get to your candidate and have a word with him about his hand movements, please. Cause he's waving his hand hands around all the time he's making very big hand gestures and i just partly found it really distracting idiot um so just stop doing that bernie bernie is a barnstormer the problem is he's not in a barn anymore um you know he 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 behaves the way that really really works in a town hall uh in a room but on tv it's really distracting and if you're going to be the candidate you're going to have to learn that there's different TV body language. So I do, um, I was on TV yesterday morning, for example, I kept my hands folded yeah. in my lap because I know that I have this habit of waving my hands around uh, as Karen will attest, because I'm literally doing it right now. <laughs> Partly I do it on the radio more because yeah. it does bring emphasis to your voice. Yeah. Um, I learned that in telesales, by the way. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you know, these are, they're, they're 
I know that presentation shouldn't yeah. matter, but it but bloody it, does. Yeah. Well, I mean, also because, it, it, like, as I said, when I switch off, mm-hmm. I turn off my eyes and I turn off my ears and I just focus on the words that he's speaking. Yeah. There's a lot in what Bernie is saying Absolutely. that I can agree with. Not everything. Yeah. I, he and I have a very different lens on the party, but that's yeah. it's fine. A lot of his arguments I can agree with, but I can't even get to them because I'm so put off by the hand-waving and the shouting. And also just from a TV, purely TV point of view, he doesn't understand the difference between when you're in a tight shot. So, for example, he kept going out of frame. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I, I, I know it shouldn't matter, but you have to – I suspect his consultants tried to tell him and he didn't listen. Um, or he's quite, got really bad consultants. Quite apart from anything else, let's look at what Bernie's weakness is. His weakness is his age. Um, you know, take away the political fight that the Democrat is having, of which if that side wins, he's you know, the big character on that side. Him, him and Elizabeth Warren are the two leading characters of the progressive side of the Democrats, yeah. right? But his weakness is his age. And when he points and he shouts and he acts like he doesn't understand TV, he just looks like a grandpa. And that's not, and when he stood next to Pete Buttigieg, that's mm. not a great look. Yeah. I mean, there was a moment in the debate where he was actually like, he would, he does a lot of finger shaking yeah. and he does a lot of finger shaking at people, which yeah, consultants yeah. always tell you not to do because it looks really accusatory. And yeah, yeah. He did that to Buttigieg and Buttigieg just sat there kind of very like calm faced, but it looked terrible. Yeah. And it, should it matter? Should it not matter? At the end of the day, the president has to be good on TV. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, the only thing in his life that Donald Trump has ever been good at is television. Yeah. So I don't discount the fact that it matters to some extent. But that's okay. That's by the by. But I just had to make that point about Bernie. So um, in terms of the substance of the discussion, a lot of time was spent early on on healthcare. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel it was all that illuminating. I don't feel like we got any further than we did last time we no. talked about the debates. I mean, it, it you know it was okay. They didn't do a raise your hand if you think X, Y, or Z. But again, they didn't kind of go into any deep. I mean, there were too many people on the stage to go into proper detail. Um, it was all um, just a kind of back and forth about how you're going to pay for this and no, no, no. And again, just stuff that I as a Brit find absolutely baffling um, just because we, we, you know, we had this debate 70 years ago and we're very happy with the outcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, and yeah, the idea, what we, we didn't ban private health insurance. We just made it completely un- it unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So it exists here, but very few people bother with it. We might bother with it for like yeah. extra bits, but I mean, I just keep coming back to, I got my tits done. I'd have it. <laughs> <laughs> I keep coming back to you. I remember the 2008 debates between Obama and Clinton in the primary. And you remember the big thing then was a big argument about whether or not to have an individual mandate in that debate. And ironically, Obama was on the side of, no, we'll just make healthcare more attractive and everybody will want yeah. it. We'll make it widely accessible. And Hillary was like, no, you need an individual, individual mandate to make the system work. And then, of course, Obama got into power and he went big on healthcare and he said, we are definitely going to deliver this. And very quickly, his policy people persuaded him that he needed an individual mandate. Yeah. And that whole debate was totally pointless. Yeah. Right. And I feel like that's kind of where we are again. Yeah. It's like, if this is the problem that we have, if we get into office and our big problem is whether a Medicare for all who want it or elimination of private health care and Medicare and, and replacing it with an entire Medicare system, that will be a great problem to have, yeah, but yeah, we yeah. don't have that problem. That's not where we're at. Um, it's not where we are. Like, I like the ambition. I like the ambition um, and the kind of big picture thinking of saying we, we're going to look at reforming the whole system, which I'm for. I just think it all feels a bit like 
boxing shadows at this mm-hmm. point. What does it matter? Who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and ultimately, when there is one candidate with one plan, that is going to go up against the Republicans who basically want to get rid of the whole affordable yeah. care system as it is. Mm. So, you know, let's not rip ourselves to shreds over the the, the, the 5% yeah. detail on the margin when actually the big battle is there are millions of people in America yeah. who you know, are dying and can't get the healthcare they need. I mean, having said all that, it is worth just reviewing the political background to the plan. So um, basically, Medicare for All, some version of Medicare for All actually polls really well. It even polls really well among Republicans. Um, because people, Medicare is a popular program. And when you just say the word Medicare for all without defining it further, people are like, yes, I would like Medicare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am looking forward to having it when I turn 65. I wish I had it now. Of course I'm for Medicare for all. When you then probe further and poll them by, by giving a couple of different descriptions of the program, things get really interesting. So Bernie's version is indeed, um, reshaping the whole system so that you phase out all private insurance, um, and then Kamala Harris and a couple of other candidates have a program that um, is called, like, described more as Medicare for all who want it. And this is a buy-in system. So basically what the first thing it would do is like in year one, it reduces the age for Medicare eligibility to 55, not as a free plan, but as something that you can buy into, then goes down to 45, 35, and goes up at the same time. So it goes from, um, you know, children to um, to young young adults, etc., until it, it meets in the middle, and very quickly you get to a point where all people are eligible for Medicare. And then there are all sorts of other kind of regulations that are put on the marketplace to make sure that Medicare um, will always be the 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 most attractive plan. And then private healthcare and providers will have to compete with Medicare. And so, like, it's a, it's only a slightly more complicated way of doing it, but it's a much much more popular way. It pulls mm-hmm. at about seventy percent. And I feel like that's what the whole, and I felt like it was an hour, but it's probably about 20 minutes. The whole 20 minute segment of the debate was basically Bernie and and Elizabeth Warren going Medicare for all, um, which is a, 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 a structural systematic systemic reform and everybody else going, no, don't do that. Let's just do something, something that will have, will also get us universal care, but be different. I mean, I can see why, the second option is more attractive to voters um, because it's easier to glide into. Mm-hmm. I can see why Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are worried that you don't you you get a change of government and that glide doesn't happen. So this is an interesting thing because this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I'm I'm really like slightly stressed about it because the Affordable Care Act was like it was the easiest way of fixing the system that we had. Right. And I think it's really, don't get me wrong. I think it's good. I supported it vigorously and I worked very hard for it, but it was, it was, it was an ambitious plan, but it was the least ambitious plan that we could take and actually make any kind of change. Um, And I think now we're seeing how easily um, it can be tampered with by a subsequent government. What, I, what I'm struggling with now is if we do switch to a Medicare for all system, a Bernie Sanders style Medicare for all system, um, then you undo the whole of the healthcare system. Now, the theory is that that makes it impossible to undo. But what if it doesn't? What if it basically just allows a future Donald Trump 
to crash the entire American healthcare system because they decide to undermine it in the way that they've done. Like what they did to the Affordable Care Act, if they did that to a single payer system, we would be fucked. Um, I mean, the answer is the same answer that, that happened over here, which is that it was so popular yeah. once it once it was embedded. The NHS is often described as our national 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 religion. Um, and you, even Thatcher, who really, really wanted to get rid of the NHS because it was entirely anathema to Thatcherism, just couldn't do it because the Tories would have rebelled, would have, you know, would have absolutely voted it down. But wrong. that relies upon the principle that there are principled people of the other party, well, not even principled, but there are self-interested people of the other party who perceive it as in their political best interests to maintain a popular program. The problem is that partisan alignment in the U.S. right now works in such a way that um, that, that there is no structural incentive for moderation. I mean, you know, look at what they did to the Affordable Care Act. A lot of red state governors um, turned down free money from the government to expand their Medicaid program, which would directly have benefited their constituents, not because it wouldn't have been popular for them to do so, but because they knew they would never win their primaries if they did anything that looked like supporting a Barack Obama policy. I mean, this is the problem with primary the primary system is that they are more answerable to their extremes than they are to their constituents. Yeah. So and and so then I think well what if our whole healthcare system was beholden to that but you know then we're just screwed anyway so yeah and I'm not sure that the that that doesn't happen under a gradualist approach yeah. either yeah. and I'm not sure there is a politics proof way of getting no. healthcare but but it's something that's you know, it's one of the many things keeping me up at night. <laughs> My six-year-old, the future of the American healthcare system, rising white supremacy, all that stuff. Climate change, climate change. Yeah. Right. Any other um, interesting policy topics that were covered that you wanted to recap on? They covered lots of things. They they did cover lots of things, but they also covered lots of things they'd already covered. So yeah. it felt a little bit like a kind of repeat. It um, felt like CNN was doing exactly the same topics that MSNBC yeah. had done. And I wonder if it had been the same network, if they, like, if they would have moved the conversation yeah. on. Because yeah. it just felt like they were like, I want my chance to ask the climate change question yeah. um, instead of actually going deeper on a climate change yeah. question. Um. The nuclear proliferation. That was a new one. That was new and interesting. And I thought that Elizabeth Warren's answer was exactly what I want. But then I'm a, you know. But then I would say that. I'm a clear, clear California beatnik. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, so that that was a more interesting debate. Um, yeah. And this is a debate that that, that runs through progressive politics. You know, the, the um, mutually destroyed destruction versus um, unilateralism. Yeah. Um, of which I've always taken the unilateral side, um, mm. but I know plenty of very progressive people who agree with me on almost everything else who don't. Yeah, well, it was it was an interesting question to have because I don't I don't remember a lot of conversations about the nuclear like the nuclear architecture of American military mm. power since the end of the Cold War, and actually it's really interesting to hear it come back in. But I don't think that they necessarily got to what you and I were talking about when it came up. We were like, well, actually, nation states are not the big threat anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're talking about terrorist organizations. Mm. Who would you even who bomb? would you bomb? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, I yeah, I felt I felt I felt some of the structuring of the questions were quite targeted mm. at Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. um, now that may be because she's um, the front runner yeah. on that stage, um, her and Bernie. Yeah. 
But like the way they framed that original question to Tim Delaney was a way for him John to... Delaney. John Delaney. Oh, You've conflated on. Tim Ryan T- and Tim John Ryan, Delaney. I always do. I think I did that last time as well. Um, one of them looks dumb and one of them looks scared. <laughs> Listeners, it's up to you to determine which is which. <laughs> Tim Ryan looks scared and John Delaney looks dumb. I couldn't possibly comment, except I just did. Right. So during the course of the conversation, I have written down um, during the debate a whole bunch of quotes or things overheard. And as frequently podcast listeners will know, um, we are now going to play a thing called the Gutch Check Game, in which I will pull out of my, well, in fact, Emma will pull out of my trusty Red Sox baseball cap, slips of paper (laughs) with quotes from the debate. Um, I'm going to read them because I don't expect Emma to be able to read my (laughs) note taking handwriting. I can barely read it myself. Um, and then we'll just check our guts on uh, on some of the interesting quotes and points from the debate. So Emma, my glamorous assistant. Okay. Uh, oh, this is a quote from Elizabeth Warren. This is from early on in the debate. She says, we're not going to solve the problems we face with small ideas and spinelessness. Mm. No, and that was a recurring theme for him tonight. I mean, I think the line of the night was when she was like, I don't know why you're running for president if you don't want to do anything and just want to talk about what we can't yeah. do and what we won't do. And it's actually been a theme, not just of the night, but of her campaign. Yeah, She's absolutely. like, look, you know, we've got big problems. Like, we need step up, guys. <laughs> I've got a plan for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and yeah, but but she, you know, she's now really kind of getting punchy about it. Uh, to be fair, I mean, she's kind of getting punchy at the people who are about to disappear. Yeah. So I'm not well because she's never been on a stage with Joe Biden. That's why I'm yeah, kind of yeah, curious yeah. to see what happens when she does. Because Biden, as the well, so particularly the Biden Warren dynamic fascinates me because. Biden was the representative. He was the senator for Delaware. Delaware is where a lot of the U.S. credit card companies are based because it's got a very low tax base. Therefore, as senator, um, Biden did a lot of supportive legislation for the banking industry, or at least didn't... um, was quite helpful to them in some ways. Now, you could say, okay, that's part of his role as constituency, as constituency service, or you could say, as Warren does, that the banking and financial sector has been the cause of so much economic harm that's been done to Americans, um, was the cause of the financial crisis. Like, she's been pretty strong against him. And I've been really kind of interested to see what will finally happen when they come face to face because the dynamic even like when they trade barbs through the press has been interesting but it hasn't been making the press very much so i i feel like this is the kind of line that she wants to be able to say straight to joe biden's face and has another chance yet and she's using delaney as a stand in for biden Biden, which i mean delaney flatters delaney somewhat (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think that's fair um and yeah and i think it in some ways, maybe she's building up the steam of that narrative, as, as we've been talking about, um, so that when she does finally um, get on a debate stage with with Joe, it will be that kind of the, the head of steam. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that that will be interesting. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to build up that narrative over time. Um, another really good example of that, actually, was Pete Buttigieg tonight, um, where when he was asked about race, mm-hmm in the first campaign and particularly in police violence, yep. you know, he told a story about a, a recent shooting and he was just talking about the pain yeah. and the fact that his community yeah. was hurting. And he then went back to that story tonight, but kind of moved it onto the healing 
and was a bit more detailed, which again, helped him answer some of the criticism that he's had. So again, he's building up his narrative, which I thought was really well done. Yeah, Buttigieg came across as really meaty and substantial tonight. I know the take against him is often that um, he's not doesn't have as many policies as Warren does, which I think is true. But from in terms of communicating his agenda, he did a really good job of being very concrete, having specific, not just examples, but also example policies that bring to life what he's talking about. Um, so whether he makes it into, you know, into the nomination or not, I think other candidates could probably look at him because he's been very strong on his media handling yeah. from the start of his campaign. And I think he's done a really good job on, on debate comms as well tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Should we do another one? Right. Okay. Um, Right. So this is Warren again. Okay. And she's pushing back. I think she's pushing back on something Delaney said. So this was a big dynamic of the night where he's, she's, she was very challenging. And she said, we're not talking. Somebody said, Oh, why would you want to take healthcare away from people accusing her of wanting to um, end private health insurance and therefore take away the union contract? She says, we're not about taking healthcare away from anyone. And I think we should stop using those Republican talking points. Mm. That's something we heard a couple times tonight was the accusation that the moderator in one case or that other candidates were adopting Republican talking points and it's just not good enough. And I think that's a reasonable thing to push back on. Framing is really, really important. Um, And there is an absolute debate to be had within democratic politics about what is needed and what the left wing or centre left answers are. There is not a need to import Republican ideas into that debate. There's enough of a debate going on without the need to do that. And I do think that Tim Delaney erred on the, I've done it again, haven't I? John, John Delaney, Delaney, Tim Ryan. John Delaney, John Delaney, John Delaney. If you say his name three times, does he turn up? Can we just, can we have a Tim Delaney and a John Ryan? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> now you've really confused me. I think he erred on the side of that too many yeah. times. Um, it's kind of okay if the moderators do it because they're there to that's kind of their job to push back on behalf of the other side of America, as it were, but it's not the job of anyone on that stage. Yeah. So I think it was a fair pushback. Yeah. Should we play another? Maybe give it a nice stir so we get more mixture. You can hear the sound effects. See how see how real this is. <laughs> Actual bits of paper shuffling around. No, I can't pick one up. Okay. Okay. All right. This is a Buttigieg one. Um. Okay, this was a really interesting one. In part of his speech, he said, if you nominate me, you get to see the president of the United States stand next to a war veteran and explain why he pretended to be disabled when it was his turn to serve. Mm. I remember thinking, that's a great line you've had prepared. It has very little to to do with the question that you've been asked, but it probably doesn't matter because you're going to pivot well, and he did. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I did, it did make me go, that is an excellent point. Yeah. And that is a question I would have liked, like, that is a, that is a good preview of the type of conversation mm-hmm. we indeed will have in the general election. Yeah. So on a debate stage, um, I think what he was clearly trying to say is envision this, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. if I'm your nominee. And I, and I was like, yep, I, I would like to see it. <laughs> I mean, I get a little bit tired of the, the Democrats endlessly thinking that what they really need to win is someone who's a bloody war veteran Mm. like i mean it's the the john Kerry problem all over again it's like yeah okay on paper dude but but having said that 
Pete Buttigieg is not a John Kerry dude. Yeah. And I think John Kerry, so I have many feelings about John Kerry's candidacy. <laughs> and one of the one of the main feelings that I have about John Kerry's candidacy is I was very frustrated while it was happening that he turned his whole life into the four months he spent in Vietnam. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. When there's so much more to him. He was such an interesting person pre and post. And, you know, he had a career as a prosecutor and he had done a lot of really interesting work in the Senate that he didn't talk about very much. And I don't think Buttigieg is falling into that trap. No. He's treating his war service as one important part of his story that has affected a lot of how he sees things. But he actually talks more about being a mayor than he does about military. And he talks about other aspects of his life, like his marriage. And basically, he's telling a whole rounded story, yeah. which I mean, there was other stuff about his service tonight. He yeah. does. He will bring it up every time, but to a reasonable degree. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that whole John Kerry reporting yeah. for service thing. It just it was turned him into a cardboard cutout. And he was cardboard enough as it was. Yes. And it made him very ripe for attack, exactly. And I think Buttigieg, any Democrat will be attacked. But Buttigieg is trying to present himself as the full, a yeah. fully rounded person yeah, with yeah, a yeah. lot of things going on, one of which is service. And I liked that. And I also liked the fact that it's true that Trump's patriotism is paper thin. Yeah. But, you know, let's not forget served. that you know, George like, Bush did similar mm-hmm. and it didn't stop him getting elected twice. Well, one and a half. Well, (laughs) let's, yeah, George George W. Bush. George W. Bush is exactly the example of the problem that we're trying to solve, right? Because he didn't get elected by a popular vote majority the first time, and he did the second time, Mm -hmm. in part because John Kerry presented himself as nothing other than a war veteran, which is so wrong because he he was more than that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, fine for you to mention your service. In a nutshell, Pete, just don't lean on it Just don't turn into GIP. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> there we go. Should we do another one? Thank you. Okay, it's another Warren one. Do you want me to pick another one? Because we've kind of gone heavy on Warren already. I'll, I'll read it out. We can react to it and then we'll move, move swiftly on. Warren, she, she says, we can't choose a candidate we don't believe in just because we're too afraid to do anything else. Again, I just think that's making the same point she's made yeah. s- several times really well. Yeah. <laughs> Good line. Good line. Keep Fair it point. up. Yeah. Okay. Grab one. This is a Bernie Sanders line. Okay. Now I had a I had a reaction to this, and I'll be curious to know if you had the same reaction I had. Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders says he's challenged on kind of why you sh- we should believe you. Trump is saying the same thing. Blah blah blah. He says Trump is a pathological liar. I tell the truth. Um. I don't think that's the strongest way of making that point. Um, And I also think that anyone who served in the Senate, as long as Bernie Sanders has, will have things that he's changed his mind on that can then be twisted into, well, you said this once and now you don't say it anymore. Are you lying? Mm -hmm. You know, let's take his stance on gun control, for example, which has moved. Um, So, and also everyone lies a little bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, my hair isn't really red, Karen. (laughs) What? (laughs) Emma, <laughs> how very dare you? I know. Um, so it's, I just don't t- say I'm the truth teller. Yeah. I mean, it's fine to say Trump's a liar. He is a liar. But I'm not sure that's what, but Trump's mm. an entertainer and entertainers are liars. I think, yeah. So the reaction I had was kind of similar to what you want. But actually, my first reaction was, it feels like you've drunk your own Kool-Aid here. Yeah, yeah. Because he's definitely put himself across as this, like, I'm a truth teller, speaking truth to power and all that stuff. And people who like him believe that. 
um, people who don't like him are still making up their minds. Mm. And I, it just felt a little bit tell, don't show. Um, it's like, if yeah. you're honest, the, the honesty comes through in your behaviors and actions. And I, I don't want, I'm not convinced by people who tell me that they're truthful. Also, I do worry about how you pivot from being, I'm the person who tells the truth to power to being, I'm the person with power. Um, the Jeremy Corbyn problem. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, there are many similarities. Yeah. Good and bad. Yeah. Indeed. Should we grab another one? one? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, this is a bit of jitch. Oh, I really liked this one. Okay, so Pete Buttigieg. I actually wrote down a lot of Buttigieg quotes because mm. I thought he was very quotey today. He was very quotey. Uh, probably because he has good prep. Liz Smith, his pre- his press manager, um, shout out to you because I'm sure you helped prep some of these lines, although um, I'm sure Mayor Pete did a lot of it himself. He says, uh, when asked about whether structural reform is possible, and he's, as I said, he a lot of his argument is based around, you know, we have this political paralysis and structural inequality. Um, he says, this is a country that once changed our constitution, so you couldn't drink, then changed it back because we changed our mind. Don't tell me we can't do structural reform in this country. Thank you, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> oh, my God. One of the things that drives me most mental about American politics is this weird constitutionalism that doesn't recognize the fact that you amend the constitution like all the damn time if you want to constitution shouldn't be just written on papyrus and never ever re- re- you know of course they set a set of values that your country's set to live by and i love the fact that you have that set of values but those are evolving values you know if you look at sort of um some of the the founding documents of america you have evolved a long way from those documents. And, you know, it's really important that you have an amendable constitution, not a rigid constitution. And, okay, I think uh, prohibition was a bit of a mistake. Clearly, so did you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oops, do over. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, stop pretending that that just saying something is unconstitutional means it can't be done. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, I'm not I'm not overlooking the challenges of it. And I think it's part of Buttigieg's message. Right. He's saying, like, it may not get done in one presidency, um, but you have to start now or you will never get there. It's like, you know, we have to start this movement. Um, So I buy that. And, you know, prohibition, as an example, is a really interesting one because people forget that, you know, we look at the Constitution now and we're like, there's this weird like error in it that we like changed one thing and then changed it back again but there was a huge prohibition movement that's how it got passed people spent decades lobbying for this and working for it against by the way some very powerful interests at the time um it was a disaster and it was not a good idea and it prompted organized crime so like we need to be thoughtful about it but clearly it's possible we can do things if we think they're important enough so let's decide what's important and do that Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think there are better issues. Um, I wouldn't even make, like, like, I mean, I would amend the Second Amendment, but actually I don't think you need to amend it. You just need to highlight some of the other passages. Do what it it actually says. Well-regulated. As part of a militia. (laughs) Um, But I think that there are, you know, there, there are much more important structural things than just taking one social ill that, at, in the 1920s was considered to be alcohol use. So I wouldn't, for example, use the constitution to deal with the opioid crisis. 
Um, but what you can do is use a constitutional law and constitutional amendments and, and to change the structure mm -hmm. that then allows you to implement laws. Well, I mean, like so the specific example, which Buttigieg alluded to, and, and it's interesting that Bernie Sanders is not picking up and running with this, right? Because Bernie Sanders, his whole shtick, his deal yeah. is the corruption and brokenness yeah. of the system in terms of money and politics, right? Mm -hmm. He profoundly believes that money and politics has corrupted both parties, the Democrats as well yeah. as the Republicans. That's kind of how, that's why and how he sort of runs against the party a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, he has some, there is some it's validity to his argument, right? Yeah. Like there's, you know, it is absolutely true that the money in our politics is a corrupting force in many ways. There's just too much of it for a start, way too much of it. But right now, unless you did something constitutional or, you know, or really shook up the Supreme Court, which is something Pete Buttigieg is also suggesting to do, you cannot get the money out of politics. You can have your movement all you want. You can shake your finger at it all you want to, but you'll need to do something different because the Supreme Court currently has ruled that Citizens United means that yeah. you can give as much money as you want. It's political speech and there's nothing you can do about it. Corporations people, dude. <laughs> so we would have to make some serious structural reforms. And Pete Buttigieg is the only one who's saying like, you know what, if we're going to have to solve, if we're going to solve this problem, we're going to have to deal with this problem. And that means that some things are going to have to be different. People are really uncomfortable about that in American political system because they've come up in, in the system that they operate in. I wonder if it's partly because Buttigieg is not in Congress that mm. He is less nervous about confronting that directly. Maybe, maybe. Um, or he's a new generation. Um, he's a bit more kind of savvy on fundraising in different ways. Um, or just, you know, too young to have become cynical, mm. which, you know, God damn him. Which I kind of I kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah, I like it. I'm just, I wish you know, I I'm just, wish I were too young yeah, to be exactly. cynical. <laughs> I'm cynical about this youth. Wouldn't thing. it be great <laughs> yeah. if I were too young to be cynical? <laughs> I remember when I was too young to be cynical. I, I was so hopeful. So listen, I think that that brings us to a wrap up. We are going to do another one of these, hopefully tomorrow afternoon. We will watch two whole hours of debate two, which features as their headline attractions, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Um, and Ooh, the thriller Manila. The, thr <laughs> the redux. This time, interestingly, Cory Booker on the stage alongside mm. Kamala. So I'll be curious. So my, my preview of that is I will be really interested to see if Booker tries to step in and play the Kamala Harris role that she played in the last debate. Because um, last time she was the only minority candidate on the stage, and he's not going to have that advantage this yeah. time. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, plan to plan to do that tomorrow. Um, and so stay tuned. Come back. It's going to be a rare two episode week for us here on Primarily Twenty Twenty. But before we sign off, any final thoughts from you, Emma? Um, stop waving your fingers about like Kenny Everett. <laughs> did this? Did anything that happened in that debate change your mind about um, liking any one of the candidates more or less? I think potential? Pete went up in my estimation again. Every time I see him, I like him more. Yeah. Um, I don't think Elizabeth Warren should ever describe herself as wanting to be a schoolmistress again because it just plays so hard into her negatives. Mm. Um. But it's so true. It is so true, but it, yeah, it doesn't need vocalizing. We, <laughs> we know. know. <laughs> we see you with your glasses yeah. and your sensible haircut, and we know. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I, I think that was. I mean, I think I said the same thing last time. Those two kind of stood out for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm really. I, I sort of 
my American dream is one day having a woman somewhere in the White House. Um, but it is, if you think of the classic American dream, the mayor of South Bend becoming president, that's like a, that's an 80s, that's that's Dave, isn't it? <laughs> it's basically the story. Yeah. Or like, yeah, I don't know if you're a... It is the it, American I dream. I don't know if you're like much of a comic book reader, but there's like, I always think of there's a... A uh, Sandman. Sandman's a brilliant comic. They have one issue in which a, a young eighteen-year-old guy called Prez Rickard wins the presidency, and it like I think it's a it's a retelling of an old comic book. But like, and it's all very optimistic, and it like it's you know all set in the nineteen seventies. Every time I see Buttigieg, I think of that. I think it's like Prez Rickard, you know, <laughs> waving. So um, I too was very impressed by. Um, uh, Prez Buttigieg, Prez Buttigieg. <laughs> um, in this debate. Um, and, and generally, I think, as you say, the more you watch of him, the, the more impressive he is. And I, I think I'm more and more leading towards I'm so bored of the type of debate that we have. I mean, even though I like Elizabeth Warren, I'm so bored of this leftist versus versus center, leftist versus center. It's just like, oh, come on, guys. It just feels so baby boomer and you know i'm generation x so i'm you know i'm post baby boomer and i've been tired of watching them have the same arguments with each other my entire political life and i like that uh, i like the idea of moving on to a different conversation which is what i thought we were doing with obama but we're right back where we started yeah yeah it, i mean it's it has been like a reset and like i mean i i don't want to get beyond ideology i think ideology is important and I am a leftist, so that's why I tend to like Warren. I like Bernie's ideas if I don't like his presentation. Um, I But a lot of times what left means is defined by the ideas that were active when the baby boomers were young as opposed to the problems we're facing today yeah like, even we were talking about the way you talk about workers right yeah yeah like yeah the idea that that all... whole, oh my god that that's that is my oh, one my... freaking takeaway never yeah. ever ever talk about the people who take a shower in the evening like what the hell do yeah. you mean so who was it was it tim ryan some candidate was describing was tim ryan yeah. blue collar workers and they were like people who take a shower at night. And I'm like, that is a really gross way of saying working class people. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's nasty. I mean, it's insulting to people who work in the working class jobs, but aren't, you know, on the factory floor or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it, it basically seemed like they're talking about miners again. Yeah, and minimum wage workers in this economy, in today's economy, are mostly service workers, yeah. right? They're retail workers or they're service industry workers, food service. That's just not, it's not the same. Like Elizabeth, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is your classic example of who a working class person is today, right? She was a bartender. Um, that is working class life. And I and feel she like- she probably took a shower in the evening before she went to work. <laughs> Right? Like, they, they just, I, and this is what I mean, but I feel like whether I agree with the person or not, I just feel like the tropes of our politics are so old. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. am excited about the prospect of a new approach to new problems instead of the same stupid arguments we've been having and not solving for yeah. my entire life. No, I can, I can, I can buy into that. Um, but I do like, um, for example, I mean, I love Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who I think is bringing a new approach, but taking the best of the old yeah. to the new approach. Sure. It's not throwing everything out. Yeah. We can keep the baby and throw out the bathwater. Or the shower water. Or the shower water. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Emma. And we will speak again tomorrow. Looking forward to it. And that's it. 
tune in tomorrow for the second of the Democratic Debate Watch uh, podcast episodes with Emma Burnell again. But in the meantime, if you would like to reach me on Twitter, you can always find me at Karen Jr. That's at K-A-R-I-N-J-R. As always, if you are a US voter, please make sure that you do register to vote and request your absentee ballot if you're voting overseas. If you're an overseas voter, the address is votefromabroad.org. If you're an American back in the States, go to vote.org. Thank you so much, and I will speak to you tomorrow.